This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Richard Steinhardt, CFO of BioXL Therapeutics, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 656. Firstly, we need to make sure that finance, both people and systems, are tuned to work as effectively as possible, especially in this new digital first world. And then as as part of what we need to, to do to be prepared for a, a potential U.S. public listing, uh, we, we need to work on that. And you know, we're, since we're already listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, we're well advanced in that regard, but it's needed to take it to the next level. And then thirdly, we, we really need to be as agile as possible. You know, the, the only constant in this world, particularly right now, is change. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to CFO Russell Burke of Life360. As mobile application developers know all too well, because there's very little friction involved when it comes to downloading an app, user churn rates can be quite high. But that wasn't the case for Life360, where churn rates were low and users tended to stick around. Or at least, that's what Russell Burke says convinced him to join the firm as CFO. For Burke, Life360 is just the latest of several consecutive CFO tours of duty that span from the early 2000s on forward. Along the way, intersecting the worlds of digital music, media, and electronics. It was only a matter of time before Russell Burke landed in the world of mobile apps, where we're pleased to catch up with him just seven months after he stepped into the office. Our talk with CFO Russell Burke begins after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt, your need to evolve, your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. We're speaking with Russell Burr, CFO of Life360. Hey, Russell, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jack. Great to be here. So, Russell, um, as you might know, we always begin by asking our guests to look back for us and tell us a little bit about those experiences they feel prepared them for a finance leadership role. Your background is just chock full of uh, different chapters, so we were looking forward to chatting with you, but I'll let you share. (laughs) <laughs> where will you take us tell us about your past sure sure look i i think in my career in in three phases public accounting large multinational public companies and then some early stage companies all, all of which have really sort of contributed to my experience and my perspective on financial leadership in different ways and most importantly the uh the journey's been a lot of fun Starting with the more mundane uh, sort of public accounting with Price Waterhouse, 
it, it really did give me an incredible exposure to different businesses and cultures, as well as a great grounding in accounting con and controls, not to mention managing people. I mean, I, I still remember my first performance review, which was really good, but then it seemed to have no relation at all to the subsequent comp adjustment. That's, uh, that's sort of something that stayed with me. I, I, I started in my hometown in Newcastle in Australia and worked with a wide range of, cl of clients from everything from banks to mines. As a side benefit, I also got to travel, spending a couple of years in LA which uh, really locked in my association with the US before going back to Sydney. From, from then, there were sort of a few points where I, where I took a bit of a risk outside my comfort zone. I, I grabbed an opportunity to move to Sony Music, obviously a large multinational record company, and completely loved it. That took me to New York as part of the International Finance Group. That, that had its perks, going to concerts in Manhattan every, every other day and traveling to all parts of the world, setting up new subsidiaries. And I, you know, I lived through amazing peaks with huge successes for things like tit the Titanic soundtrack and Michael Jackson. But then I also got to see the challenges of piracy. Before that, I hadn't really understood the, uh, the concept of disruption. Um, but, but that's what I experienced. And I, I was sort of CFO for Europe at the time for, for Sony Music. And I, I ended up leading a, a lot of in initiatives to really optimize the cost base, things like negotiating joint venture distribution deals and putting in place shared, shared service facilities in the region. Then, you know, after dealing with that, that for a time, I decided to join the disruption and sort of move back to New York to as, as the founding CFO of Pressplay, which was a joint venture of Sony Music and Universal Music. It was the first legitimate music streaming service. And, you know, even though it was a joint venture of these two massive companies, in many respects, it was, it was a true startup. I, I joined a team of about half a dozen and we sat down, created the business model and then went out and executed on it, which is a, a huge, huge amount of fun and great experience. And, you know, even though we were so well before our time, um, uh, we, we did we did achieve some real success. We built it up to about 800,000 subscribers before we ended up selling it to Roxio. I, um, I then had the chance to, to get back to Australia and run a division as, uh, as, CF, as CEO for the Australian New Zealand operations of Weight Watchers and um, you know, WW as it's now known, it's a, it's a fascinating company. It's a public company with diversified operations across meetings and publishing and licensing and products. Uh, but, but the day I landed in Australia, I was launched straight into the middle of a long, long standing labor dispute with the leaders, um, which took several months to sort of work through. But, uh, and then after solving that, uh, there were still lots of other challenges to modernize the operations of the company and, and get it back to growth. Um, that gave me an incredible general management experience that I've really brought to my subsequent CFO roles. On, on coming back to the US, I became CFO for Mandalay Media in Los Angeles. And then I made the leap to a true startup, um, Magic Leap, which is a, a name you're probably familiar with at this point since it, it grew to become a sort of visionary leader in the augmented reality space. That experience really stoked my entrepreneurial spirit and, and helped me understand the fine line between success and failure. Uh, it also cemented my 
tech chops and gave me an introduction to Silicon Valley and, you know, all the exciting things that are happening in this part of the world. So that's a, you know, a, a broad range of, of roles and experiences that probably give me a bit of a unique background that, that I can leverage every day at Life360. Wow. Nice, uh, comprehensive overview, Russell. Thank you for that. The, uh, I want to zero in though on, uh, press play, uh, a predecessor to Pandora, to Spotify. Uh, but, um, you used the word legitimate, uh, versus like a Napstar, which at the time I, I think was, uh, considered a pirate of some sort. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, it was it was pretty interesting. Um, press play was sort of set up by the by the record companies to to battle the the Napsters of the world, and you know at the same time they were they were suing the the, the pirates like Napster, and uh, you know Napster ended up being essentially sued out of existence. And then what happened was that Roxio, which company on the west coast in the tech space. Uh, bought the assets of Napster out of liquidation, and really they bought the name. The the name had ninety six percent brand recognition. So, um, but they they then needed a service to to launch a a, a new legitimate music service. So um, that that coincided with us uh, looking to to sell Pressplay at the time. So we sold it to to Roxio, helped them re reskin the service as the new Napster. And and that that was where the new Napster was was born and, and launched, um, and it's it's had several iterations since then. It's uh, been sold through through several companies, and unfortunately, um, no longer exists as a as a standalone name. Now that period, was there anything in your past career that had prepared you to take that step? Do you feel? Uh, I just think it was pretty daring of you um, as a seasoned executive in this large Sony enterprise to do that. What was the incentive for a finance executive like yourself? It, it, it was really a desire to be at the leading edge. Uh, I had seen what was happening with the the, the physical um, sales business for for Sony Music, and um, and frankly, that was a, that was a little depressing. Uh, you know, it it just sort of continued to go down every year, and it was substantially because of the disruption that that piracy had uh, had provided. Um, so, yeah, as I. I Towards the end of my time in Europe, I I was I got involved more and more in sort of strategic matters and and you know how the how the company was going to deal with this going forward, and I, I just became fascinated with you know jumping to something that would be the the leading edge of the business that would help the the business recover and find its future basically. Then your next chapter or another chapter. Uh, with Mandalay Media, here again, you're sort of in the disruptive mode. You're you're in mobile technologies in 2007. Not many, you know, people or seasoned executives were headed there except the disruptors. Um, am I correct about that? Or how do you reflect on that chapter? And again, yeah. you were there four years as their CFO. So it's an investment of time, close to five years, actually. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting. It was, um, uh, the, the, there were a few things that, that attracted it 
uh, attracted me to to Mandalay. And you know, one was it, it it was a public company, so there was my first sort of public company CFO role, uh, albeit a you know on the smaller side. It was also um, it was also a disruptor. Uh, to to your point, it was uh, it was largely sort of rolling up. It had been set up to roll up digital media assets, and and the the prime focus of the company was on on games and other content for mobile mobile phones, essentially. Um, and yeah, that was a, that was a, a new field. It was c- certainly disrupting things at the time. So it was it was an exciting time. Uh, another interesting company, the Magic Leap, of course, where you did invest nearly nine years, but you were as a finance leader. I imagine you came through the door as the CFO. Am I accurate? Is that is that accurate? Or yeah, no, that's um, that's 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 a, a absolutely absolutely right. I was um, introduced to the founder when it was really just an idea. Um, so I, I was in at the the very beginning. Um, that was certainly my first true startup, and we we build it from absolute zero. Did that company go public or I, I don't have a... No, it, it, is, uh, it, it is still a, still a private company at, at, at this point, uh, been, through, been through its ups, ups and downs, but uh, been through se- several uh, record-setting sort of financing rounds and it's a, it's a big play. We understood that content was going to drive adoption of a new platform like this. So very much involved with uh, gaming, very much involved with a music application. There were so there were a lot of crossover crossovers there that uh, that that really spoke to me in terms of my media and entertainment experience, and also the on the technology side. Okay, well, we'll probably have a few more questions regarding uh, your career, which is uh, really, as I said, there are other chapters we don't have time to touch on with you here. Right now, let's find out about Life360. What exactly uh, is this company about? What does it do and what are its offerings? Okay, well, uh, I I should say at the outset that I only joined Life360 in May, but it's been a, a, a great ride already. Um, Life360 is the leading safety and coordination service for families. We've got more than 25 million monthly users located in more than 140 countries. The, the mobile app is, a, is the market leading app for families with features that range from communications to driving safety to location sharing. The, um, you know, the size and experience um, that, that the company has are, are really differentiators that, that give it give it an advantage. What is it? Uh, I always like to ask this, and this is somewhat career oriented, to be honest, but years from now, when you look back at this chapter, you've just opened, what will set it apart from your earlier chapters? What did it, what is it as a finance leader that you're, you're looking to accomplish here? I, I joined the company because I saw sort of the huge opportunity, even though the company is sort of very experienced. It's been around for more than 10 years and it's really invested in building up a, a very big, lo- loyal um, and active user base. Um, uh, but, but at the same time, there's a there's a huge opportunity going forward. And um, um you know, I, 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 I saw that that was a big part of the, the attraction. Um, the, the company's been very successful over the last few years at, at building a, in a paid subscriber base and really monetizing that. 
Um, but with with what we launched in the um, in the summer with a new membership tier, uh, has has really taken that to the next level. So I see that opportunity. Um, and uh, there, there, you know, there was also an attraction for me that it. Um, Life360 happens to be listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, which is a little bit of an un unusual play for a Silicon Valley-based company, but uh, um, that, that gave me a, a, an entree into uh, to the Australian side as well. Well, having showed up in May, uh, you know, you've had an opportunity to look around now. It's about roughly uh, almost six months. Um, wondering what uh, as you looked around and as you looked at the numbers and as you realized what's being measured effectively, what what's a here's a business dynamic that we need to pay closer attention to. What is it? What is it that you have sort of said, I, I need to see that more often and we need to begin having regular you know, reporting on it. Is there a, some part of the business that you have cast your your glaze and want to. Uh, produce numbers more regularly on i guess i could put it that way yeah the, it's it's interesting because your, your life 360 is a consumer subscription business and um and there's some aspects of the business model which are a little unique as I, as i dug into it i was sort of fascinated by the flow uh life 360 sort of built up this large and loyal base of free users of the app over a long period of time and then introduced premium paid pop products to start monetizing but the, the, the characteristic of apps is that there's typically high churn in the first month or two because there's very little friction to download the app and register. But in Life360's case, after that first couple of months, users tend to stay around for a long period of time. And we've been able to successfully monetize them over that period, moving free users into paid and upselling paid users to a higher price point. So to flesh out this for investors, which really hadn't been done up to this point, in my first um, sort of half yearly earnings presentation in August, I spent some some time focused on on what we what we're now referring to as revenue retention, um, including charts that sort of show the behaviour of cohorts over time and the success in earning revenue over time from these these groups. I then sort of expanded this into sort of overall unit economics to help investors become more familiar with the margins of the business, especially as we launch this new membership suite of products. Want to understand better, uh, as you look to measure different parts of the business, how you might be educating the team. You perhaps have your own management techniques, your own management cadence of meetings that you like to have or perhaps not like to have. As you try to draw the attention of the organization, the numbers that you have grown to understand are important. How do you go about doing that? Is it a, a, a dashboard? Is it a, just simply emphasizing something at a meeting over and over again? What is your style? What is your uh, approach? It, it's interesting because the, you know, the, the charts that I just talked about um, that we presented at the earnings presentation were a view over a reasonably long period of time. And that's, that's very useful for investors to understand the, 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 the long-term value in the company. Um, but in the short term, we, we obviously need a more, more immediate data that, that we can use to run the business on a daily and a monthly basis. So tend to use dashboards in that respect. Um, and you know, that the company, uh, has a, a wealth of data um, 
and uh, you know, a strong data analytics team. And you know, what we've been working on is, is really just co- you know, combining those two, bringing in, uh, fleshing out the, the, the key data metrics that, that, that are important day-to-day and the best way to present those. Um, and it's, a, it's an evolving process. There's so much data in this business that it's you know, one of the challenges is just distilling it down to those, those key pieces and then having the rest of it available to, to dig in uh, w- when it makes sense. Finance leaders will tell us now with all this data, certain organizations might be at risk of different parts of the organization interpreting data differently and how finance plays that role of having that single truth uh, sayer role. And uh, I always think of sales when we have this discussion. It begins with, and, and part of what we've been discussing, I think is interesting. You might find interesting having played this role in multiple different innovative firms is how you collaborate with sales how you both agree as to what the data is sort of revealing and why there needs to be a change or a response to it. Can you give us some sense of how that collaboration with sales is important at Life360? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's not just sales, it's, it's really across the, the organization as, as I think about it. Um, and to some extent that starts with the sort of the, 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 the data team, um, you know, and, and the point you, you made in terms of single, single source, source of truth is a, is a key factor in that, you know, there's so many different applications that tend to be used in the company of our size that, Really making sure that everyone's operating from from the same set of data is is critical, and we've been working hard on that. But then, you know, it's working with sales, it's working with product, it's working with marketing. Uh, really understanding how the interplay of of those areas work in driving the the business success of the company. So, um, you know, that's that's. Having the same same set of data to talk to, uh, but it's also talking regularly to them um, in terms of what that what that data means and and how best to use that to drive the the success of the company. So it's discussions like this one that make me wonder how this role has really changed. And just given the length of your your career and the number of CFO tenures, you can go back fifteen years and reflect how. On this, how has this role changed? There is a great deal more information available now, um, and particularly in a a subscriber business such as ours, we have a huge amount of data um, available. Um, as I said, one of the challenges is just sort of distilling that, um, but it's also understanding uh, the, the interplay. So it's, it's really getting the, the team together um, on, a, on a regular basis to, to understand how one thing impacts the other. Curious about uh, the current environment out there and how uh, the company has responded. Again, you came in in May, so you you the pandemic had already sort of arrived and uh, uh, you know uh, made the job that much more challenging in certain ways. Uh, you couldn't meet the team probably as quickly and easily as uh, one would have wanted to. Um, but can you tell us how this business has responded? And uh, let's begin there. Sure. Well, first, I got to tell you that uh, 
taking a new role in the sort of COVID-19 world has definitely been a different experience. Um, whole recruiting process, including discussions with the board, was done virtually. From from my first, first day virtually, all business at Life360 has been done digitally, whether it's Zoom or Slack or email. I, I had to get my hand around things, build relationships and and start reshaping the finance function without having that ability for the sort of personal touch. It was only recently that, in fact, that I even met the executive team or or my finance team in person. So it, it was interesting. And I, I guess as an aside, they, 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 I've heard it described that this is sort of the loneliest time, but in in some respects, it's a truly human time. I, I've uh, I've seen my team's living rooms. I've I've met their kids. Uh, I know the names of their dogs. So uh, you know, in in that respect, there's a level of personalization that you may not get otherwise, or at least not as quickly. Then then on the uh, on the business side, um, this this new digital first environment was uh, a benefit for me in, in several respects. I've been able to meet and engage with investors and analysts based in Australia in much more depth and in a shorter period of time than would otherwise be possible. Um, you know, starting as a CFO of a public company, you would typically need to really develop strong relationships with the key analysts and the major investors. And being listed in Australia, that would have been a logistical challenge, traveling and organizing face-to-face meetings. But with COVID, everyone's on a level playing field. And I, um, I was able to set out an aggressive schedule to meet and get input from as many people as I could in that initial phase. And I've been able to meet many, many more people easily on video. Um, you know, and then operationally, I guess, at, at Life360, we, we, we saw an initial hit to new trials and registrations at the outset of the pandemic, but it recovered fairly quickly and it's been growing slowly ever since, even with the resurgences of COVID in many locations. We've uh, been able to maintain stability through this period and we've adapted well to sustained, with sustained organic growth. Um, and, you know, just as, as an example of adapting, uh, you have been able to prove in this time one of the strong aspects of our business model. Uh, user acquisition is the lifeblood of a growth subscription business like ours. And we were very disciplined in measuring success of our paid acquisition spend. Um, but immediately following the, the onset of COVID, we, we saw a significant drop in our effectiveness measures. So we scaled right back on this spend to almost nothing for a while. And and since we weren't heavily investing in future growth, we achieved cash flow break even for the first time in our in the second quarter this year. Um, and that's that's been a, a factor for our uh, in analysts in particular of you know, understanding how the business model works. So you know from then we've been we've continued to be cautious um, during the pandemic and um, but yeah, we're we're keen to get back to that hyper growth that that we had before, and we're expanding, experimenting with new and and different acquisition channels so that we can uh, really push the pedal once we get out of COVID. Okay, well, well, a uh, lot of detail there. Thank you for that. Um, so we are up to where we always ask for a finance strategic moment, Russell, and this is a where. Anytime along the course of your career, you experienced a moment of strategic insight, 
that was really unique to finance. Only a finance leader or a senior finance executive has the lines of sight that you do, um, and you are able to respond to it. What comes to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? You know, as I as I think about you, know, my my career and my experience, there you know, there's sort of probably quite a few things I I could have drawn on, whether it's to you know rolling out to international territories or finding new ways to structure operations more efficiently. But but as I think about your question, the the one that really strikes me is sort of the the magic leap experience, and it was it was before we even put the company together. Uh, but the the idea itself was so powerful that the challenge was actually focusing on a smaller number of use cases. I um, I sat in a room with the founder and we went through potential revenue streams and we fine tuned these into the sort of initial strategic and financial plan. At at the time, we decided that gaming was the logical entry point for augmented reality. And and that became the blueprint for how we built and evolved the company from the pure startup stage to to one employing sort of thousands of people. Uh, of course, the the strategy itself evolved, but but the plan really created the foundation for everything that we built. And and that was that was a very unique experience for me. Uh, before then, I I. I really didn't appreciate how, how exciting it was to build something from com- the, the ground up completely and sort of see it through fruition. Um, so that gave me a, a really good perspective to always look for ways to reinvent things, you know, you're both both large and small. And I, I think I now bring that perspective to, to, to my day-to-day career. When we return, CFO Russell Burke enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're speaking with Russell Burke, and we're entering the mentoring round. Russell, we uh, once more want to ask you to look back for us. Uh, That first time you stepped into a CFO role, that first week, that first quarter, if you could go back in time and tell yourself something, (laughs) what might that be? Yeah, yep, and uh, you know, I, I, I would love to avoid some of the scars, but uh, <laughs> I, I, as I think about that, I think that the what I would say to to myself at that point is, go and build an exceptional team that you can trust as quickly as you can, um, and then set very clear goals and milestones, and and then delegate as as much as you can once that trust is in place. Yeah, uh, that that I think is the only way to sort of free up time to really focus on the the high level issues that a CFO should be deeply involved with. 
This is where we ask you to reflect a little on yourself or your personal habits or daily routine. Is there something that you do sort of outside the, not just the professional realm, but you're known for more broadly, personal and private? Is there some habit that you have that you think has kept you on an even keel over the time? <laughs> I, I'm not sure if it's something I've, I'm known for, but uh, yeah, on the on the personal side, I, I I really believe that you're much more effective when you're fresh. So I I try to work out every morning. Uh, we were l- lucky enough to just sort of complete building a a home gym, but um, before COVID really struck. So I've, I've got the luxury of being able to work out there every morning. Uh, but it's it's important to try and do that um, as well as sort of break up the what invariably becomes a pretty long day. And then, you know, so I guess related to that, uh, you know, not, a, not a, only do I encourage my team to do the same thing, uh, but I also encourage them to really completely disconnect when, when they're away from work. Um, it uh, gets much harder and harder to do in our digital world these days. Um, and I, I, I don't always achieve that personally, but I, but I think it is important. Um, and then on, you know, on the professional success side, just sort of, you know, diving into that, I, I think it's really defined by absolutely loving what you do at work. Uh, and that's the number one message that I always give to to my team is enjoy what you do at work or or really go and find something else that you do enjoy because uh, it, it comes through. Is there a book you'd recommend to uh, future finance leaders or other professionals? Doesn't have to be a business book. Jack, That that is an interesting question because Frankly, I've I've never really found reading business books to be all that productive for me. Um, what I what I do find really useful in the digital age is the is the absolute wealth of material that's available online, from online magazines to blogs to webcasts. So I make I make it a practice to spend at least part of my day keeping up with the latest ideas in finance and strategy from from the world's most innovative authors, and that's. That's all available there. Excellent. Uh, So we are up to our final question where we ask you to look forward for us over the next 12 months and share your priorities as a CFO for the next 12 months. What what comes to mind? Well, there's a few because I'm still fairly early in my uh, building stage here at Life360. Firstly, we need to make sure that finance both people and systems are tuned to work as effectively as possible, in the, especially in this new digital first world. Um, and then as, as part of what we need to, to do to be prepared for a, a potential U.S. public listing, uh, we, we need to work on that. And you know, we're, since we're already listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, we're well advanced in that regard, but, but you know, it's what it, it's needed to take it to the next level. Um, and then thirdly, we, we really need to be as agile as possible. You know, the the only constant in this world, particularly right now, is change. Um, you know, Life360 is an incredible position to to deliver on the opportunity that's there. Um, but we, we have to be agile and finance must be a, a key part of making that work. Russell Burke, CFO of Life360. Thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you very much, Jack, and enjoyed the time.
Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.